This morning, I am excited to share the Word of God with you. I want to begin by asking all of you a question, and it's this. Where have you placed your trust? Is your trust in yourself, or is your trust actually in God? What has your focus and your attention? I've learned in my own life that my desire, my want is to trust God. I want it to be God that I'm leaning on with all of my trust. But sometimes instead of actually holding on to God and leaning into him, I realize that I'm actually holding on to fear or I'm holding on to my own disappointments and disillusionment or I'm holding on to fear and disappointment and hurt or my pride or I just want my own way more than I actually want the way of God because somehow I start to think that I know what is best for me, which according to the book of Proverbs, that's foolishness. That's ridiculous but I do it. I've also seen firsthand how holding anything but God can sabotage my relationship with Jesus. When I hold on to fear, disappointment, or my pride over trusting God, it often robs me of the life that God had for me and the path that he was leading me towards, but I've taken a detour that I was never meant to take. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you from the book of Proverbs to begin about how placing your trust in God actually leads to life. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Trust in the Lord, fear the Lord. Did you know that trust and fear of the Lord actually go hand in hand? They are so connected. They seem so contradictory, but yet you can't really have one without the other. You can't have trust in God, full trust, without having a real fear of the Lord. At our church, Pastor Dave Wells said recently um, this about the fear of the Lord, and I loved how he said it. He said, fear of the Lord means acknowledging that there is a God, and it isn't me. That wraps it all up. But it's appreciating God's character and knowing that we don't have a full understanding of all of the things. God is fully love and yet he's fully just. He is merciful and yet he is mighty. He is magnificent yet humble enough to come as a babe in a manger. So, so both, but yet they work together and I can't fully understand it. I don't have a full understanding. The fear of the Lord is having an awe of him and his holiness of who he is. When the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea and they saw God come through in power and might, it increased their faith and it increased their fear of the Lord. Who is this God? It means acknowledging that he is a God of justice and he is the only true judge. He knows the deepest places of my heart and my thoughts, and yet he desires to be known, or for me to know him and for me to be known by him. 
It's incredible. It means knowing God. And when you begin to truly know who he is, when you begin to know his wonder and might and what he has in store for you and his love for you, then you start to realize just how much you can actually trust him. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be protected. Do you hear that? When we trust in God, we are protected. Death no longer holds such power over us. But when we fear man, we start to lose sight of God and we start to lose sight of who he is. It trips us up over and over and over again. Are you living to please man? Or God. Proverbs 14, 26, 27 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. See, other fear actually takes away from us. It steals from us. Our own fears hold us back. Fear of man holds us back and steals. But walking in the fear of the Lord brings life. There is promise after every single one of these verses. Do this and I will do this. Fear me and there's protection. Do this, your children will have refuge. Do you hear the promise and the heart of God for you in this? I want to show you a short, embarrassing video of myself, partly because it really illustrates the foolishness of holding on to the wrong things and putting our trust in the wrong place. It is a great illustration at my expense of how ridiculous fear can be in our lives. It was taken at the Sky Park with my family. And just so I feel a bit better about myself before you watch it, I need you to know that I did the high ropes course before this video happened. It's really high in there. There's two levels and you go up and I was with my kids. I have three teenagers. Um, my oldest, I'm just graduated high school and my youngest is a little go-getter. So I was like, I gotta keep up with them. So, so I did all the high scary stuff. My heart was pounding out of my chest, but I did it, okay? So just keep that in mind while you watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, babe. He's climbing up and down just to do the extra. And you look over here. Oh, it's Alexis. She's going for it. Come on, you got it, Alexis. <laughs> just. So hold, don't let go, hold on to the rope with both hands, grab on. <laughs> Have faith. It's like a roller coaster. Let go and hold on. You got it. You got it. the very top and touched that thing before he realized how ridiculous I was being climbing back down. So I did make it to the top. Climbing up wasn't the problem. Letting go and coming back down, 
Man, the tension couldn't be felt in my ropes until I started to let go. And I've heard that at other climbing walls, there's actually tension even from the beginning. There, there is not. So you free fall for about a second until then it clicks and then it lowers you. And somehow, I just couldn't let go of the fear. I watched everybody else doing it. Looks so easy, looks fun, but yet, I just kept gripping that wall. I kept choosing to hold on to my fear. Even though I knew the rope was secure and that the rope would lower me just fine, I made a choice to hold fear. And in the process, looked like a fool. I knew what I had to do. I needed to let go. I needed to trust. And when Andrew wasn't laughing at me, he kept telling me, just, just let go. But I just couldn't do it. I had to let go of my grip of fear. But I kept holding. I kept climbing back down. I was over halfway down before I finally let go. (laughs) Are you trusting God with all of you in the same way that I needed to trust the ropes with all of me? Or do you have a little bit? I, well, I'm holding you with one hand, God, but I'm, but I'm holding my security here. Well, well, I'm holding you with one hand, God, but, but I, can't, I can't let go of this because, because what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I, I don't know. I do that more times than I'd like to admit. So there's a few things I want to focus on today that can keep us from trusting God with all of our heart. And the first is this, disappointment and heartache can keep us from trusting God. And I want to talk to you about Elijah. In 1 Kings, we find the story of Elijah. He's this amazing prophet, this man of God. He walks in miracles. He hears the voice of God. He predicts a drought and it comes to pass. He sees a widow and her son miraculously fed and sustained, starting with a minuscule amount. He sees the widow's son raised from the dead. He confronts this corrupt King Ahab. He sees the prophets of Baal defeated. And he watches with great faith as the Lord sends the rain. Seven times he sends a servant out and it doesn't deter him. No, go look again. Go look again. God's bringing the rain. So the seventh time he sees the cloud the size of a man's hand. This man has an amazing track record of trusting in God. That is until Jezebel comes along. This wicked queen who threatens to torture and kill him. And here's his response. 1 Kings 19, 3 to 5. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went his journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying it is enough now O lord take away my life for i'm no better than my father's and he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold an angel touched him and said to him arise and eat he is ready to die he's ready to give it all up And yet, it wasn't his time yet. So God sends an angel that gives him food that sustains him for the next 40 days as he continues journeying to Mount Horeb. And while he's there, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And this is what it says. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
See, I think Elijah was feeling heartbroken and disappointed and very alone on the mount. Despite all that God had done, Elijah had also witnessed the death of many prophets. He watched them be struck down and killed. Many of these prophets would have been his friends and men he knew well. So here's his response. 1 Kings 19.10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Things haven't gone the way Elijah thought they would. He had been so zealous for the Lord. He remained faithful. He did everything right, and yet many of his friends are now dead. He's leaning on his own understanding, seeing what he can see in the natural. My friends are dead. I did this. I was faithful for you, God, and yet look where it got me. Just let me die. I'm no better than my father's. His trust had been shaken. But God's presence meets Elijah in the whisper on the mountain. And again, God asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds the same way. I'm the only one. It's only me. I've been jealous for you. And now they want to kill me too. And God says, no, Elijah, go. There is another king to come. There is another king that I need you to anoint. It is not over. There is another prophet who is ready to come behind you, but you need to anoint him. And there are actually, you say it's only you, but there's 7,000 in Israel who did not bow. You think it's only you, but that is not the truth. I see what you don't see, Elijah. Get up and go. See, it had been hard, but it was not hopeless. Look to me again. Don't lean on your own understanding, Elijah. Elijah's trust had been shaken. Disappointment and fear had gripped his heart and he fled. But God wasn't finished writing Elijah's story. And even if you've fled at times, God is not finished writing your story. God has a plan and a purpose for each one in this room. I don't care what mistakes you feel you've made. God is not finished writing your story. Where you maybe feel like it has been hard, it is not hopeless. Hear that this morning and let hope arise in your hearts. It is not hopeless. Where it has felt hard, it is not hopeless. God is saying, go. What are you doing here? Get up and go. Get up again. Maybe you've fallen down. Get up again. Now I need to find where I am because I don't know. (laughs) Be aware when disappointments and heartache and exhaustion come to keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at who he is, at his character, at his might, at his majesty, at his wonder. Read through the Bible, read through the scripture to look at Jesus. Who are you? What are you doing in this situation and what are you saying to me? Don't lose your fear of the Lord. He is God and we are not. He sees what you don't see. The second thing I want to talk about is fear. Fear can keep us from trusting God. And I want to talk about Peter. This is such a famous story amongst Christians. Peter walking on the water out to Jesus in the middle of a storm. Peter, the fisherman with tenacious faith. If you aren't familiar with this story, his story is found in Matthew 14. To set the stage, the disciples had just been with Jesus. They had witnessed another incredible miracle when Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fish and feeds 500,000. Not 500,000, 5,000. 
Immediately after this miracle, Jesus sends his disciples off by, himself, or by themselves in a boat to the other side while he goes off to pray. Evening comes, the storm is raging, the seas are raging, they are paddling, these are strong fishermen, but they're getting nowhere. And Jesus sees them, knows they're in trouble, so he starts walking on the water towards them. They're not moving anywhere, but Jesus is moving through the storm to them. And Peter sees him, they think it's a ghost at first, but then Peter's like, well God, if it's really you, tell me to come. I love his response. Matthew 14, 28 to 32. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter has this great trust in the Lord. He fears the Lord, and he has seen what Jesus can do. He has a sense of awe and wonder. He he hears the voice of his Lord beckoning him, come, so without hesitation, he jumps out. He finds himself walking on the water in this incredible, amazing moment. But then his own understanding begins to kick in. And he sees the wind. And I imagine his mind is all of a sudden going, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Peter, what are you, what are you doing? What is happening? Don't, don't you see the wind? Don't you see the waves? What, what are you doing? This is impossible. I can't do this. What am I doing? What is happening? He had faith to begin, but then he started looking at the storm and started holding on to fear. And the moment he started holding his fear, he began to sink. But immediately, he cries out, and immediately, Jesus is right there to lift him up from the water. And they keep walking together. I've been there I've had the faith to begin. I've started to take some scary steps and I've been walking forward, walking in trust. And then all of a sudden, I start to focus on my circumstances. I start to focus on what is happening around me. And I start to allow fear to take a bit of a hold. Well, well God, but this, but, but why? How? And I get caught in the shackles of how and why. And in those moments, I have to call back out, Jesus, save me. And he's right there to take my attention and my focus back on him. Maybe it's time this morning for you to acknowledge God in every circumstance, the good ones, the bad ones, to remember who he is and who he has called you to be, to stop leaning on your own understanding, stop leaning on the circumstances you can see, and instead, look to him, the author and perfecter of your faith. Love, God's perfect love, is the perfect antidote for fear. You want to battle fear? Look to God's love. His love is the antidote. If we fix our attention on fear, on our circumstances, on what we don't understand, our past experiences, we can very quickly start holding fear. Anxiety builds and fear can make us do and say some pretty dumb things sometimes. Like holding on to a wall when there is a secure rope to take our weight. 
When we hold on to fear and we look at everything through that lens, the lens of fear, we very quickly begin to be filled with anxiety, depression, worry, hopelessness. Those things bring death. Not necessarily literally, but they definitely don't bring us life and hope. We stop looking at Jesus. We stop holding on to Jesus as our lifeline, as our rope, as our security. And we start missing out on the life that is right in front of us of what he wants to do. He's offering each one of us a better way, but we have to let go of our own way and hold him. We have to let go of our fears. We have to let go of our need for control. We have to stop leaning on our own understanding. And we have to instead grip him and his love. It's a free gift offered to each and every one of us. And he has amazing things he wants to do in each life. Each one of you who are in this room, he has a plan and a purpose for you. Not one of you is disqualified. Not one of you is less than. He has a plan and a purpose for every single person in this room. John 1, or 1 John 4, 15 to 18 says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. Anyone, anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely. That's where you lean. That's where you rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love. Perfect love is the love of Jesus Christ. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. True love drives out fear, but you can't grip the fear. You must let go and hold something else. The fear needs to be replaced by holding something else. There's no fear in love, God's perfect love, because it has to do with punishment, with getting hurt, with pain. But none of those things are the end for anyone in Christ Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Maybe you need to be reminded of that truth today. Take heart. He has overcome the world. You're going to go through trouble. You're going to go through heartache. You're going to go through some pain. That does not mean God has abandoned you. He is with you. Take heart. I have overcome. And he is preparing a place for you. We have hope in Jesus Christ, the hope of heaven, the hope of glory. Do you hear that? Remember that. Remember that. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Wow, I keep going off today. It's good. Jesus is here with us. Choose to hold God instead. The last area I want to focus on today that can keep us from trusting God with our whole heart is this. The voices that we choose to listen to can affect our trust. And I want to talk to you about Jesus on the cross. Even as Jesus was on the cross, dying, giving his life for us, his trust in God was mocked. Matthew 27, 42 to 43 says, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. 
He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and, and we'll believe in him then. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Yet Jesus knew that death on the cross was not his end. He could trust God through hardship, regardless of how it looked to others. He knew he would rise again. He knew he was about to defeat death. He knew that in the end, what he was doing was going to bring more glory and honor to God and that it would break the power of sin. It would, he would go into hell and take the keys of darkness and there was victory ahead. But he could have chosen to listen to those mockers. Well, I need to get down because they'll believe. If, if I just do this, then, then they'll actually believe. He, he could have chosen what voice to listen to. But he knew he knew that the pain and the suffering that he had to endure was for a purpose. He knew that there was going to be a way where before there was no way. And as believers, we need to remember that when hardships come, when disappointments come, when fear wants to win in our lives, we can still trust God to be with us, that he will give us strength to make it through the other side. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through we're going through, you guys. We're not stuck there. We're walking through. Jesus wants you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because that is not your end. Do you hear me? We, that is not our end. We have the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we put our hope in because he loved you. He loved you enough. He chose you. Every single one of you. It was for you. He sees what we can't. We have hope in the cross of Jesus Christ. There may be times when the enemy begins mocking your trust, especially when things are tough. When they're not going how you thought they should go, be careful what voice you're listening to. Be careful what you're feeding your soul with. Are you feeding your soul with the word of God in those moments? Are you allowing the truth of God's word? Because his word does not return void. This is the word of God. Are you allowing that to be the voice? Or are you listening to your friends at work or the latest podcast or the latest thing? Where are you putting your trust? When things are hard, what voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of your father? There was great victory on the other side of Jesus' trust and obedience. He remembered. He remembered who God was and what God was doing. It's time to remember. Don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge God in every situation. When Elijah leaned on his own understanding, he fled. When Peter leaned on his own understanding, he sunk. When I leaned on my own understanding, I looked like a fool. When we try to lean on our own understanding and we leave God out of the picture, it doesn't end well. God isn't asking us to never use our minds. He gave us our minds and he gave us the ability to think. But it is important that we are not elevating our thoughts above God's thoughts. It's important to remember that our thoughts are limited. Our understanding is limited, so we can't rely on that. That can't be where we're putting our weight. 
Don't rely on your own understanding. It's limited. Are you struggling in your faith today? Cry out to God. Are you wrestling with fear this morning? Cry out to God. Are you battling discouragement? Have there been deep disappointments and hurt? But God, I I did everything right. Are you like Elijah? I was following you. I was walking in obedience and look at where it got me. You might as well just take me too. Cry out to God. Put your trust back in him. Have you been hurt, misunderstood? Cry out to him. Put your trust in him again this morning with all of you. Maybe you're holding on and you can keep, let, you keep letting go with one hand, but, but the other hand is still gripping pretty tight onto where you think the security is, on where you think the answer is. But Jesus is calling you today. Will you trust me with all of you? Because I want to make your path straight. I want to make a way through the wilderness where you don't see a way through. Will you trust me with all of you? If we will trust him, he will make our path straight. This is where true life is found, in trusting God. I'm going to end with this scripture, Psalm 115, 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. What are you trusting today? And I, I do want to give an opportunity to respond. So Haley, if you could come and the worship team. I, I do want to give an opportunity to respond because sometimes we need to let go. And sometimes that step can start with a physical response of saying, God, I'm choosing There's been all these things, and in our world today, there's a lot of fear you can hold on to. There's a lot you can look at going on in politics, in our world. We're just coming out of a pandemic. There's been been so much fear. There's been so many things you can hold on to, disappointment, heartache, misunderstandings. But I feel like today Jesus is saying, will you come and lean on me with all of your trust again? because I want to meet you there. And I I just believe he's right here with his hand stretched out, just like he was with Peter, that the moment you come, I believe the hand of the Father is right there to grab onto your hand and to breathe hope in your life. I've been in situations where, where I have lost hope, where I've battled depression and anxiety, And God met me in that moment and he said, Kimberly, you need to repent and you need to turn to me. And the moment I did, it broke and there was a 180 that happened in my spirit. Instantly, the moment, and it was just Andrew and I in our car. We were actually, it was before we moved to Regina and we were driving here to minister for a weekend. And I began to cry out to God in our car about a half hour outside of Edmonton. For the next seven hours, the presence of God filled our vehicle as I wept and I cried out and nothing in our circumstances changed. Actually, that was the beginning of what I lovingly refer to as four years of hell. It was hard. It was four years of hard. But something changed in that moment. The circumstance didn't change right away. 
but my heart and my attitude changed in a moment because I cried out and I said, God, here I am. Forgive me for my attitude. Forgive me for where I've turned away. Forgive me. I'm going to minister to people. And that's where my heart was at. But God saw me. And he said, Kimberly, I'm not done with your story. He sees you in this room today and he says, I'm not done with your story. So if you're feeling like God has stirred inside of you today and there's been some things where you're like, I'm not fully holding on in this area and I want to turn back to complete surrender, I invite you to come. And I will pray with you and I, I don't know if I'm assuming you have people here that will pray as well, but, and just worship. If I, I encourage you to move to make a move, to stand, to worship, to come forward, to invite somebody into your story who can lay hands and join with you. Because, guys, the plans God has for you, for this church, for King's Corner, for every single person in this room, it's incredible. And there is great hope in Jesus Christ. There's great hope. Thank you.